1 John chapter 5, 16 through 21. This will be finishing out the letter that John wrote, 1 John, to the church. First John chapter 5, beginning in 16. Let's read. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know... That the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Beginning in 16, um, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. This is a a very peculiar, a very difficult passage of Scripture, uh, especially to keep it in its proper form and, and what it means. It is hard. Last Sunday we left off with this passage of Scripture, the first part of it, and today we are going to finish that and go through 21. It should not take me too long, uh, but we nevertheless, we do have to finish chapter or verse 16. It's a hard passage, but we're going to get through it. And the first part of 16, the Scripture is calling the church to pray for those that they know have fell into sin. We looked at that in 14 and 15. Recap very quickly. Listen to what it says. For those that have fell into sin that are children of God, can that happen? Can people fall into sin that are children of God? Yes, it can happen. Okay, so listen to what it says. When that happens... And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests or whatever we ask, we have that from him. In other words, he answers that. So the next passage is 16, where someone is caught in a fault, someone has sinned, someone has fallen short of the glory of God, that is a child of God. And what does the scripture teach us in 14 and 15? To pray for that individual. And if it be God's will and you are lined up with God's will, then the Lord will hear your request and overturn that and bring them out of whatever sin that they are in. We talked about prayer. We talked about the power of prayer. God does hear our prayers. He answers them. In other words, the church has power. Do we believe that? Do we truly grasp 
that the church of the living God has power. We have power. At the end of the book of James, it tells us to call for the elders of the church and that one to, for them to call for the elders of the church, for them to come lay hands on so that the prayer of faith may heal the sick. There's power in that prayer. The collective saints of God have power. It's been given to us. Satan may be the prince of the power of the air. However, Jehovah God, our king, is over all things. And he is the head of the church. And he has given us that power to be able to pray for those and for their sins to be overturned, for them to come out of the wickedness that they are in. And you say, what wickedness is that? The sky's the limit, is it not? I could sit here and I could give you an exhaustive list of sins that one could be found in and we would be here until Jesus came back. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. And there's all these different imaginations that come into the heart that people play on. Some of the weirdest things in this world happen because of the human heart is wicked. So we don't need an exhaustive list. We know that people sin. But we know that there is a way for them to overcome that. It's time that God's people... Pray. This is why we pray for the one that hears, or to the one that hears our Lord. And with this, we have hope for those in the church that have lost their way. In the church that have fell off the turnip truck, fell off the wagon. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Have you ever fell off of a wagon? I have fell off wagons. I have fell off of trucks. Moving through fields. It don't feel pretty. It hurts. It's a calamity of errors all bundled up into one. And it just happens. People give in to that and they go that way. But we have power to combat that for them. There's strength in numbers and we can overcome the power of the evil one. Through prayer. There's no doubt about it. Listen to this, verse 16. So whether in the beginning of the verse 16 or at the end of the verse 16, the death that's speaking about is, a, is an eternal death. It's not just one that, that leads to death here in time. Okay? So we're talking about eternally. Eternally. All right? Listen to 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. All right. Now we have to understand before I move on any further that sin brings about death. Does it not? All right. Now this is not exactly what the passage is talking about, but I want to make it very, very clearly are clear this morning that sin brings about death. If you are a child of God and you continue in the path that you are on, sin's way and Satan's way is to murder you, is to kill you. 
That doesn't mean that you'll be separated from the hand of God in eternity. But you can fall and sin and die. So we got to make that, that very, very clear. Our passage deals with eternal matters. So the beginning of verse 16 deals with praying for the saved that are found in sin, that they may be restored through the power of prayer. The end of verse 16 is a little bit different. Listen to what it says. There is sin that leads to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Remember, he's talking about a spiritual death here. Cast into hell kind of, kind of death, okay? Even though we're not told specifically in this passage of Scripture what that specific sin is, I think that we can go through God's Word and look and maybe find an answer today. I personally believe it to be the sin of blaspheming of the Holy Spirit mentioned by Jesus in Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 3, 28 through 30. Mark chapter 3, 28 through 30. Love to hear pages turn. If you got to make them turn loud so we can hear it. Listen at that. There we go. I want it to be able to be picked up on my microphone. Y'all flipping pages. Mark 3. I believe this sin to be the sin of blaspheming. And, and we see Jesus reference this. In this passage of scripture, and I want to explain it to you. It's always been somewhat of a mystery to me until I begin to study this particular text and study what was going on in 22 through 30. We must pay attention to what's going on here in this passage of scripture. Listen to what it says in verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. So Christ was doing a work. Influenced, he was doing a work by the Holy Spirit in people's lives, casting out demons. And listen to what it says. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. This is Christ speaking to the people in parables. The Sadducees, the scribes. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But it's coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then Then indeed he may plunder his house. We know that the the strong man that is in the passage of Scripture uh, that goes in and binds the other man is Christ Jesus that goes in and overthrows the power of the enemy. And listen to what it says here in verse 28. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. And, who, and whatsoever blasphemies they utter. 
But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. This is why precisely John tells us that he would not have us to pray for that particular sin. Because we can't overturn it no ways. It's only a work of God that can do that. So listen to what it says here. Uh, uh, verse 29, I'm going to read it again and then 30. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is guilty of an eternal sin. Yes, yes, yes. Verse 30, here's the key. For they had said he has an unclean spirit. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Now understanding this sin and what Jesus is speaking about deals with the Holy Spirit and the work that Jesus was doing, which testifies that he is God. The work that Jesus was doing, the the Spirit confirmed it over and over and over in the lives of people. Jesus was working miracles and doing all of these things and it testified that Jesus, in fact, flesh and blood, was very much God and very much man. That He truly was and still is the King of glory. What What was the work that Jesus was doing in this passage of Scripture? Casting out demons by the Spirit. Why did Jesus say that blasphemy against the Spirit was unpardonable? Listen to the question and I'm going to answer it. Why did Jesus say that blasphemy against the Spirit was unpardonable? Because, here's the answer. Because they consciously denied the work of the Spirit in Jesus' ministry. Thereby they deny Jesus and believe not. The Holy Spirit has testified of the work of Jesus. So denying Christ is denying the Spirit's testimony, which in turn is a refusal to submit and believe in the person of Christ, our Savior. Therefore, rendering us lost, headed, for hell. The sin of unbelief is unpardonable and cannot be forgiven because they have no ears to hear with, no eyes to see with, a heart that cannot feel. Obstinate, going completely against anything and everything that is good and holy. John 3 and 18 tells us clearly, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, to which the Spirit testified of and did so much work. Verse 17, let's move on. All wrongdoing is sin. Now this is true. There's there's no doubt about it. All wrongdoing is sin. Sin is sin whether you're saved or whether you're lost. And by the way, it still has some of the same consequences too. For the saved and for the lost. A person that's drunk dies in a car wreck. 
That person could have been saved. They fell off the wagon. You say, Pastor, can that really happen? Absolutely it can happen. I abhor to think that it happens. But can God's children get into a pickle pretty quick? Absolutely. This is why we're to fight against the flesh all the time. And that's for the lost and for the saved. Sin brings about death. All wrongdoing is sin. This is true. All wrongdoing. According to what? According to our law? According to what? God's law. According to the moral law that has been given to us by God in His Word. All wrongdoing is sin. Verse 17, but there is sin that does not lead to death. A spiritual death. In other words, hell. There is sin that does not lead to that. John, here what he is doing is he is placing our attention, our attention back on the church and he, was, he is placing our attention back on prayer for the church. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now listen to what he's saying here. He says, we know. We know. I gave you a couple of weeks ago how many times in the book of John the word know, K-N-O-W, is used. It was 27. It was 27. And that's not counting known, K-N-O-W. W-N, there's more than that in this, in, this, in this book. Remember, it was so that we know that we have eternal life. Here in the text it says this, We know, we have a confidence, we have a surety that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In other words, if that child of God claims that they are a child of God, at some point in their life, they are going to come out of that. They're not going to keep on in it. Everybody follow? Everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, does not have that lifestyle. When they think about when you think about such and such, you wouldn't say, "Well, you know, their lifestyle is X, Y, and Z." So we have to be careful here. We have to pay attention. Then it talks about the protection that we have against the evil one. At the end of the verse, the high and holy one protects us. Does he not? He protects us. So that the evil one cannot touch us eternally. He cannot. The evil one would have better luck burning up the entire world than to be able to pluck one of God's children out of his own hand. And so we have a protection that is guaranteed to us. John 10 and 27 and 28 is, is very clear on this. In 29, it says, My sheep hear my voice, 
and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. You see where Jesus says this? He says, my sheep are my voice and I know them. Isn't it good that we have a confident, knowing Savior? Well, he's trying, listen to me. We have a confident, knowing Savior, and he's trying to pass that down to us that we can know as well and be just as confident in him as our Savior. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so here he is showing us that we have this protection. We, we cannot be lost eternally while in the hand of God. It cannot happen. Verse 19, and he starts again with this. We know. Here is another assurity. There is, this is an exclamation point for us. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you know that? I broke down in this passage of scripture, in this book... These five chapters, I broke down the times that it says this, went in reference to us knowing, not in reference to us not knowing or the ones that are going to hell, but just us knowing where it benefits our salvation and adds to us by knowing. I counted the different references. There were 25 where John very clearly states, we know, we can know. That we have eternal life. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. While we are in the world, we are not to be of the world. Is that not right? It's true. While we are in the world, we are not to be of the world. Wickedness is in the world of which we are to abstain from. The scripture teaches us to abstain from all appearances of it. Now I know that you have fallen in that and I have too. That's why it's called a a spiritual battle, a warfare. It's not easy. If we practice wickedness habitually, then our father is Satan, the devil. Plain and simple. If we practice righteousness and our fathers of the Lord. 20. And we know, here's another one, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. How awesome is it to know, to know, to have a surety and to have confidence that we are in the Son of God. And if in the Son of God, then in the Father, wrapped up in a big old bundle of love. Amen. 
How awesome is it to understand that he loves us that much that he keeps us and cares for us. We may care for our children. We may care for people around us, but not like he does. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. It would be hard to separate us from him if we are in him. Right? It's quite impossible for Noah to come out of the boat. Why? Because God shut him in. Of which he called him into. Because he was with him. He might have fell several times in the boat. But he didn't come out of it. We might fall several times while we're in Jesus. But we can't come out of him. He's always holding on to us. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. And then in verse 21... John leaves off with this. And I think idolatry basically wraps up, um, for the most part, all sin. Um, You know, placing something above the Lord or before the Lord in our lives. No matter how big or how small. Some people think that it's just about money or just about alcohol or this or that. But no, as I said earlier, the sins, there there are so many that we can place before the Lord that become idols. And John warns us here and he he talks to us and he says, little children. Little children. He's not talking to the little, little ones like Isaiah. He's talking to the children of God. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. Idolatry, idol worship, anything that comes before you and the Lord. So John finishes his book here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21 with a warning and telling us a command to keep ourselves from idols. And I'm going to leave you with that today. Church, we are to keep ourselves from idols. We're to pray for one another, understanding that we have a confidence and a surety in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.